Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I've become dependent on the radio. I turn it on as soon as I come home from work and I forget to turn it off when I go to bed. I depend on it to fill in. A companion constantly talking to me, entertaining me. It's wrong. I must stop being afraid of silence. There's nothing to fear. I'll just sit here and listen to it. Oh, I thought it was coming for me. Oh dear, I'm shaking. No, Mary, stop it. Pull yourself together. Still, it was like a warning. A warning of approaching death. Coming. Coming for... No. Listen, Mary, listen to the silence. What's that? Oh. How silly of me. My own heartbeat. Oh. Quiet. Quiet, you. Let me listen to the silence. Why am I doing this? Why have I turned off the radio? Why am I deliberately sitting here frightening myself? I must be going mad. No. Don't say that. Don't even think of it. You're not mad, Mary Smith. You're perfectly sane. Why have I always been so lonely? Like a stranger in a strange land all my life. Indifferent parents, lovers without the pretense of love. Then solitary confinement as age inevitably conquers looks. What will happen to me? 
when infirmity takes all. No! That's the easy way out! I will listen to the silence. I will. I know someone is there. I've always known. I was afraid. That's true, but not now. Come into the silence and join me. Come in. I'll be brave. I'll listen. Here I am. <gasps> At last. Who are you? The radio and your voice prevented me. Where are you? Here. I am here. But I can't see you. Can you see the voices that come from your radio? Who are you? Your grandfather. My grandfather? A seaman, an explorer. Adventure was my life, still is. And what a great adventure it has been journeying to you. But, well, you can't be either of my grandfathers. You speak with a foreign accent. They were born in London. Besides, they're dead. They were not your grandparents. And your so-called parents were not your parents at all. What are you saying? Listen, Mary, I have something to tell you. Your real father was my son, Stefan. He was Polish like me. He didn't have the opportunity to marry the girl he loved. He was a political activist. And he was killed six months before you were born. Natasha, my daughter-in-law, your real mother, died giving birth to you. And you were taken to an orphanage in Warsaw. You were one of the lucky ones. A refugee family brought you with them when they fled from Poland to England. Here, they did a secret deal with an English couple, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, who adopted you. They were childless and desperately wanted a girl. But afterwards, they regretted it. They found you ungrateful, solitary and temperamental. Quietly, they hated you and was secretly delighted when you ran away. As for you, without knowing it, you ached for your own country, your own people. You are Polish through and through. I have been trying to reach you, but you never gave me the silence, the deep silence I needed until tonight. I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. No, 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 you're not dreaming. Entranced, yes. For the first time, you have opened the door which deep down inside you knew was always there. The door between the two worlds. But I'm not psychic. I've never been to a seance in my life. You have always possessed psychic powers. But you have been secretly afraid of embracing them. Believe me, Mary, there is nothing to fear. Nothing at all. I thought that hearing you like this... Well, 
that I'd be afraid. But I'm not. It seems, well, natural to be sitting here. It is natural, Mary. Everything that happens is natural. How could it be otherwise? We must keep our voices down. They might hear us downstairs. Only you can hear me. No one else can. Why have you come? First, to tell you who you are. This I have done. Secondly, and important to me, is to tell you stories. Wonderful stories that make up my life. But there is time for that. You have the rest of your life in which to hear them. All you need to do is to open the door to the silence, and I will come into it. Now, go to bed and sleep. Go to work tomorrow as usual. In the evening, when you return, do not switch on the radio, but listen to the silence. I'll be waiting to come in. Good night, Maria. Maria? But I've always been called Mary. Maria is your real name. Maria. Yes. It's me. It's really me. Good evening, Miss Smith. Hello, Mrs. Maple. Had a good day, love? Yes, thank you. Everything all right, is it? Uh, yes, yes. Oh, that's good. Had a visitor the other evening, did we? Uh, no. Why do you ask? Nothing, really, but... Well, it's just that Jenny thought she heard you talking to someone, that's all. I said she must be talking nonsense, because I didn't hear you let anyone in. You're right, Mrs. Maple. There was no one with me. I was quite alone. Good evening. Good evening, dear. <sighs> Privacy again. How wonderful. And silence. It happened once more, I wonder. Or was it merely a dream? Oh, no. Please tell me it wasn't a dream. I won't turn on the radio. I'll just sit here quietly and listen. Listen to the silence. Hello, Maria. Oh, hello. I've been thinking about you all day. Have you? That's nice. Where do you live? There is no way in which I can describe where I live. Your language does not contain the words. But I shall tell you tales of how I lived when I was in your world. Oh. What's the matter? So you are dead, then? Only in your limited sense of the word. Do I sound dead? No, not a bit. But... Yes? Tell me, what is it like to die? Do not fear dying, Maria. If you've enjoyed life as much as I have, you will find dying bitterly disappointing. But in time, 
that feeling will pass and you will discover that dying is another form of birth and you will be content at the prospect. You make it sound almost pleasant. Well, it's less of an ordeal than I thought. Tell me about when you were in my world. Tell me about your adventures when you were here. Well, I was a captain of a ship and traded in Malay archipelago and along the seashores and riverbanks of Africa. Once I remember when I was trading in ivory, and yet after all that, I had managed to survive and return to England with the hold laden and the ship and all its crew safe. That was wonderful. Oh, tell me another story, Grandfather. Please, please. I feel like a child again. Good. I'm pleased. Except when I was a little girl, no one ever told me stories. That's all in the past now. I will tell you more stories tomorrow when you come home from work. Promise? Of course. And the evening after that. And every evening of your life until all the tales are told. Good night, little Maria. Good night, Grandfather. Oh, how marvellous. To have something to look forward to every evening for the rest of my life. I'm so fortunate and so happy. I've never ever really been happy before. And this, this can go on and on and on. Mr. Robbins. That's right. Sit down, please. Thank you. Now, Mary, you've been working here for some years now, and I think I can safely say we know one another well enough for you to tell me if there was something worrying you. Isn't that so? Yes, Mr. Robbins. Good, that's what I thought. Except that I don't know what you mean. There isn't anything troubling me. There isn't there. I'm not blind, you know. Simply because I allow you to get on with your work quietly in the corner of the office doesn't mean to say I'm not interested in the welfare of my employees. For instance, you've lost a lot of weight these past few weeks. Have I? Yeah. I was wondering if you have a, a good meal when you get home from work each evening. Well, occasionally I may miss... Ah, exactly. What you eat here at lunchtime isn't enough to keep a sparrow alive. I'm all right, Mr. Robbins. Really, I am. <clears throat> then there's your work. My work? I hate to say it, but you've been growing, well, absent-minded of late. Your work is suffering. Little inaccuracy, spelling errors. Nothing serious, yet. But enough to make me want to have this little chat with you. I'm wondering if something's happened in your private life. Uh, a bereavement? No. No, nothing like that, Mr. Robbins. On the contrary, it's, it's more a rebirth. I'm very happy at the moment. In fact, I couldn't be happier. I see. 
Well, Mary, I, I suggest you take the opportunity of keeping a check on your strange euphoria. Be as happy as you like in your own time, but while you're here, I'd like you to take a little more care with the work I'm paying you for. You understand? Grandfather. Grandfather, are you there? I am here, my child. I didn't tell you this before, but two months ago, my employer, Mr. Robbins, called me into his office and told me that my work was deteriorating. Today, he called me into his office once more and gave me the sack. He calls it making me redundant, but it amounts to the same thing. Before... Before you came into my life, I would have been terrified. But I'm not now. In fact, I'm glad. I should get unemployment pay, and I should be able to spend more time with you, listening to your tales. Good. Good. Tell me something, Grandfather. Did you ever write them down? Never had the time. I was always too busy living my life, not writing about it. But you have time, lots of it. Why don't you write them down for me? Write them in my voice. Hear me in your mind's ear as you write. My tales are true, not fiction. True tales of a sea captain who lived nearly a hundred years ago. But you must have a routine. You will write in the morning, starting early. In the afternoon, we will go over what you've written, and in the evenings, I will give you fresh material. I shall have to go out sometime. No, no. But, Grandfather, I have to eat. I'll provide you with food. Food for the mind and spirit. That is what matters. Spend your money on pens and paper and exercise books with good stiff bindings. That's all you need. Believe me, Maria, that is all you will need. That and the dreams you'll dream. Tomorrow, you start writing. story you've told me, Grandfather, and the most marvellous tale of all. Then you will write it down tomorrow morning, as you have done all the others, rising at five as usual and going on till midday. Grandfather, I... I think that tomorrow morning I... I really should go out for a little while and buy some food. It, it's not that I'm hungry, though I do feel weak. And I've become so thin and so frail. And my hair's falling out. Listen, Maria. That does not matter. You must write the story tomorrow morning while it is still fresh in your mind. It is my best tale. And my last. When it's written, a life's work will be complete. You will be able to close the last exercise book and write... The end. What are you saying? It is the end, my child. This is the room, Doctor. She's here. 
Thank you, Mrs. Maple. I rang as soon as I found her. I'd no idea she'd got herself into such a state. I hadn't seen her for a long time, you see. Yes, I got yes, the yes. feeling that since she left work, she tried to avoid me. She was always punctual with the rent until this morning. When I didn't find the book and the money in the usual place, on the table in the hall, I knew something must be wrong. Yes, then I came up, knocked on the door, mm. and when there was no reply, I came in and found this. There's no food in the cupboards, nothing. She never drank milk, you see, so there was no telling she wasn't getting any nourishment. You know, checking the bottles the way you can with some people. Mm -hmm. There's nothing here except all these exercise books full of writing. It's as if she just went out of her mind, sat up here in solitude and complete silence, and wrote her heart out. Mm. Uh, Mrs. Maple. Yes, Doctor. Would you like to go downstairs and look after your daughter? I'll just examine her and be down in a few moments. Oh, of course. Sorry. Here I am, jabbering away, and you want to get on with your work. <laughs> Would you like a cup of tea when you come down? You were a long time, Doctor. Tea's ready. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Maple. Like you, I'm not shocked by death. I was present when my mother and my father died, so death doesn't shock me. It was how she looked like something out of one of those prison camps. She was like a little shriveled old woman of about 90 instead of a 50-year-old. That's all she was, Doctor. 50 years old. I've sent for an ambulance. There'll have to be a post-mortem. You're not sure how she died, then? I believe it was starvation, which, of course, leads to a natural self-poisoning. Has she any relatives? She never spoke of any. She didn't receive any letters to speak of, except tax forms and the like. So I've no way of knowing whether there were any relatives or not. Mm, Mummy! Mummy! An ambulance is stopping outside! All right, dear. They think it's a bit of excitement, don't they? I'll take care of the exercise books for the time being, if that's all right, Mrs. Maple. Well, I don't know. Now, they'll be returned when it's all over. They'll probably be needed by the coroner. Coroner? Oh, there'll have to be an inquest. But that needn't distress you. They'll simply ask you to describe the circumstances in which you found Miss Smith. Oh, I see. No one's going to blame you, Mrs. Maple. She wouldn't have welcomed any intrusion into her privacy on your part. Well, that's how it seemed to me these last few months, Doctor. She changed. She really did change. It wasn't for me to interfere. I'd probably feel as she felt. I like to keep myself to myself. Hello, Richard. What are you doing? Oh, hello, darling. I was reading. Oh? They look like exercise books. They are. What's in them? Hmm? Oh, stories. It's just that it's all a terrible waste. You mean they're no good? Oh, no. The opposite. Look, darling. I'm afraid you're not making sense. Well, Mary Smith, who apparently wrote these stories, was the lodger of one of my patients. I think she starved to death. My God. How awful. I think she was possessed by the need to get these stories down on paper. You mean she wrote herself to death? No, darling, it doesn't make sense. There are 20 stories here, set in Malaya and Africa in the 19th century, and they have an extraordinarily authentic ring about them. You must agree that it's more than strange a woman writing that kind of story. You could almost believe they were true. They're told in the first person by the central character, a Polish sea captain, trader. Oh. She doesn't even reveal his name. But seeing that he's Polish, the whole thing must be a figment of her imagination. 
But what an imagination! Then there's another thing. There's a terrible urgency about the writing. I'm no expert, but although every word is clear, in the later stories, when she must have been at her weakest, the handwriting has a strength, a fortitude born of suffering, as if she were determined to finish her task and, when complete, calmly lay down and die. Can I see them? Here. Hmm. I see what you mean about the handwriting. It is a bit wild and ragged, especially towards the end. But there's an exhilaration about it. Exhilaration? Not fortitude, darling. Exhilaration is the word I'd use. Look, see how the lines slant upwards and the letters slant forward? It's, well, optimistic handwriting. Wasn't too bad, was it, Mrs. Maple? The coroner was quite nice. He was very kind and understanding. Well, it's all over and done with now. I was pleased with the verdict. Death by misadventure? Yes. Better than all that talk about the balance of the mind being disturbed and all that, you know. Mm. What was in those exercise books you took away? They were mentioned, but not in detail. They were full of stories, Mrs. Maple. Very good stories. My wife's a part-time teacher, as you know, and she's reading them aloud to the kids in her class. They love them. Reminiscent of Joseph Conrad in some ways. I think it's possible that Miss Smith must have read Conrad when she was a girl, absorbed the feeling and style, and then, when her life became empty, she somehow recalled Conrad and produced her own similar creations. I don't understand all that. But I do know Jenny enjoyed hearing them. Jenny heard them? Not all of them. Snatches of them. She could hear Miss Smith reading them aloud. Jenny told me she used to sit outside her door and listen. She wouldn't make up something like that. No. No, no of course not. Well, Doctor, I'm glad Mrs. Rogers is reading them to her school children. Least all that work Miss Smith put into them won't have gone for nothing. I should have told you, Jenny, but uh, I thought you'd be upset. Especially about her dying in the house. No, I'm not upset. I feel sorry for her. I feel sorry for anyone who dies. Why did she die, Mummy? She was old, I suppose. Her time had come. She wasn't all that old. I mean, she wasn't as old as the man. Man? What man? Didn't you see him? What man are you talking about? The one that came here to see her, of course, her visitor. I never knew she had a visitor. The funny old man with the dark brown face and funny hat and that great big white moustache. And you saw him? Lots of times. He was old. But he was very clever. Do you know, Mummy, he used to walk right through this door. It's true, without even opening it. That is clever, don't you think? Right through this door. I wish I could do that.
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Nigel Haver stars in tomorrow. Excuse me. Yes, sir. Have you seen Mr. Clayton anywhere? Mr. Clayton, sir? Uh, he was here a minute ago. Uh, oh, there he is, sir. The window seat in the corner. Oh, yes. Sorry, I didn't see him. Thank you. And so, there I was, standing with my golf club ready. <laughs> ah, Sanderson. There you are, at last. Hello, Clayton. Hello, old boy. Hello, Evans. Wish. Hello, Sanderson. I'm terribly sorry being so late. Thought you weren't coming. No, I really am truly sorry. Had trouble with the car. Oh, uh, not an accident, I hope. No, nothing like that. Just a mechanical fault. Serious? Nothing I couldn't sort out myself, fortunately, but it held me up for over an hour. How had my people with practical minds, you <laughs> see? Well, you look none the worse for wear, anyway. Well, I've been up to my room to clean up and change. Where have you put your clubs, then? Left them in the car. Thought I'd pick them up as we go out. Ah. I didn't know whether you might be out on the course already. Well, start without you, Sanderson. What kind of chaps do you think we are? <laughs> your late arrival gave us an excuse for another drink. Uh, Clayton is determined to win today, Sanderson, yeah. even if he has to resort to getting the competitors totally drunk. Oh, what a ah. thing to say, old boy. <laughs> Most unsportsmanlike. Jerry! Coming, sir. Same again, please. What do you want, Sanderson? Look, as I was late, let me get them, will Nonsense. you? Nonsense. No, please, I'd like to. Won't you hear of it, old boy? What do you want? Well, pink gin, if you don't mind. And a pink gin, Jerry. Large one. No, look, steady on. What's the matter, Sanderson? With one of those inside you, you'd be able to hold in one. <laughs> Mark my words. <laughs> uh, who was the last club member to hold in one? Don't tell me you've forgotten, Wish. Hmm. Weatherby. Stanley Weatherby. That's right. Hold in one didn't buy a soul a drink, not even his partner. Hold in one didn't even set foot in the bar. Oh, I remember now. Clearly yes. no gentleman. I was here the day it happened. I saw it with my own eyes. News spread like wildfire. He came back, looked at his watch, mumbled something about being in a hurry, acknowledged members who were applauding him, got into his rows, drove off. God, man was a cat. Owned half of Yorkshire. Half of Yorkshire, Clayton. All right, Sarnison. A third. <laughs> well, <laughs> certainly several villages around the Millers. <laughs> of course, he, he, he didn't remain a member for long. Sure hope not. It was put to him, tactfully, of course, that it simply wasn't done. Not in golfing circles or any other circles frequented by a gentleman. Why? As he wasn't considered 
a gentleman, he was told to leave forthwith. I was on the management committee at the time. He cried. Oh, come on, Clayton. I tell you, he cried, Sanderson. Well, very nearly. Mm. Eyes were moist. Mm. Ah, Here we are, gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you, Jerry. Thank you, sir. On my tab. No, no, I, oh, no, no. it's my tab, really. Actually, I, I think it's my For heaven's sake, will you stop arguing like a lot of old women? <laughs> this is my treat. Thank you, Jerry. Sir. Cheers, then. Oh, oh, cheers. Right. Cheers, Clayton. Cheers, cheers Obama. Thank you. Now, now, listen to me. I feel lucky today. I'll put a fiver in the kitty for anyone who gets three under par. Uh -huh. now, how about it? Three under par? Oh, come on, one wish, old man. You can play jolly well when you put your mind to it. Well... And money has a way of concentrating the mind. Uh, I'm game. <laughs> Thought you might be, Evans. <laughs> what about you, Sarnison? Hmm. All right. Right. We'll down this lot and then tea off, eh? Right. I've ordered roast duck for dinner tonight. Aha. Uh -huh. How's that? Marks. Uh, I, I think Marks. we should have done uh, really some pleasant. contribution here. Oh, no. Look, I tell you, my friends, I feel lucky. I'll be taking that 15 pounds off you later on when I win our little bet. <laughs> so you'll be paying for dinner anyway. Well, Clayton, you were true to your word. Hmm? We ended up paying for the meal. Oh, oh yes. Well, I knew you would. You just feel lucky, that's all. <coughs> More brandy, anyone? Not for me, thank you. No, no, thank you. Uh, just a little, please, Clayton, yes. We can finish this decanter together, eh, you wish, old chap? Oh, I, I, I don't know about that. I, I can't move as it is. Well, you don't have to move to enjoy brandy, old boy. Just lie there, soak it up. Like a Christmas pudding. <laughs> <laughs> there. Oh, thank you, thank you. Poke the fire, someone. Getting low. Uh, I'll do it. Thank you, wish, old boy. Yeah, that's better. You know, I stayed here last night. No. Neither did I. I was absolutely alone in the place. Oh, not absolutely alone, surely. What about the domestics? Oh, well, of course the domestics were here, Wish. But they sleep in the other wing. Well. Yes. Hmm. You were going to say... No, nothing, nothing. nothing. Yes, yes, you were, Clayton. Something happened last night. Well, I, uh... <clears throat> I caught a ghost, actually. Caught a ghost, did you? Yes. And where is it? Caught a ghost. You must tell us about it. You don't seem in the least bit surprised, Evans. I suppose your four weeks in the great spaces of America have made you impervious to such pronouncements. <laughs> Not at all, old boy. I'm interested to see whether your story matches the size of some of those the Americans have a habit of telling at the drop of a hat. Yeah, or, or an oil well, eh? Mm. <laughs> I see. Mm. Wish, old chap. Uh, yes, Clint? Close the door, will you? 
Eh? I, I know no one deliberately eavesdrops in the club, but I wouldn't want to upset our very excellent service with any rumours of ghosts. <laughs> Come no, no. on, And Jake. this ghost, well, it wasn't a normal ghost. Don't think it'll come back again, ever. <laughs> Are you serious? Close the door, Wish. There's a good fellow. Oh. <laughs> right. You mean to say you didn't keep it? Are you actually taking him seriously, Sanders? The truth is I hadn't the heart to. You hadn't the heart to do what? Keep it. You are serious? Yes. A ghost? Yes. Come on, Clayton. You've drunk too much brandy. The fact is it really was a ghost. I'm sure of it. As sure as I'm talking to you now. I'm not joking. I mean what I say. <sighs> well, I... I think I will have a little more brandy, if you don't mind, please, Wish. Oh, yes, yes, of course, heavens. It's the strangest thing that's ever happened to me in my life. You know, I never believed in ghosts or anything of the sort before, ever. And then I bag one in the corner. You, uh, you talk to it? Yes, for the space of an hour or more, I suppose. Chatty. Poor devil was in trouble. Sobbing, was he? If you must know, yes, poor fellow. I... I I never realised the poor sort of thing a ghost might be. I took an advantage. Look, Clayton, I don't understand. You're, you're having us on, aren't you? No, don't you understand? Yet? Look, a person remains just the same person, even though he's disembodied. That's a thing we too often forget. People with a certain strength and fixity of purpose. Most haunting ghosts, you know must be as single-minded, as monomaniacs and as opposite as mules to come back again and again. This poor creature wasn't like that. Good God. I say it in all kindness, but that is the plain truth of the case. Even at the first glance, he struck me as being weak. Well, I don't know. You don't know what, Evans? I don't know what to say. Well, don't say anything, my friend. Just listen. I came upon him in the long passage. His back was towards me, and I saw him first. Right off, I knew him for a ghost. He was transparent and whitish. Clean through his chest, I could see the glimmer of the little window at the end. And not only his physique, but his attitude struck me as being weak. He looked as though he didn't know what to do. Well, what sort of physique? Uh, lean. Uh, you know, uh, that sort of young man's neck that has two great flutings down the back here and here. And a little meanish head, with scrubby hair and rather bad ears. Shoulders bad, hmm. narrower than the hips. Uh, Turned-down collar, ready-made short jacket, trousers baggy and a little frayed at the heels. I came very quietly up the staircase and I saw him. I stopped dead at that, taking him in. I wasn't a bit afraid. I think that in most of these affairs one is never nearly so afraid or excited as one imagines one might be. I was surprised and interested. Hmm. I thought, good Lord, here's a ghost at last. And I hadn't believed for a moment in ghosts during my whole life. <clears throat> I suppose I wasn't on the landing a moment before he found out I was there. He turned on me sharply and I saw the face of a an immature young man, a weak nose, scrubby little moustache, and a feeble chin. So, for an instant, we stood, 
he looking over his shoulder at me, and, and we regarded one another. Then he seemed to remember his high calling. He turned round, drew himself up, projected his face, raised his arms, spread his hands in approved ghost fashion, and came towards me. As he did so, his little jaw dropped, and he emitted a faint, drawn-out boo. Oh. <clears throat> it, it wasn't a bit dreadful. Boo, I said. You don't belong to this place. What are you doing here? Are you a member? I said. And just to show him I didn't care a pin for him, I stepped through a corner of him and made to light my candle. What are you doing here? I said. He, he dropped his hands and stopped his booing, and there he stood, abashed and awkward, the ghost of a weak, silly, aimless young man. I'm haunting, he said. You haven't any business to, I said. I'm a ghost, he said. <laughs> well, that may be, but you haven't any business to haunt here. This is a respectable private club. If I were you, I wouldn't wait for Cockrow. I'd vanish right away. Well, he looked embarrassed. The fact is, sir, I can't, he said. You can't, I said. No, sir, there's something I've forgotten. I've been hanging about here since midnight last night, hiding in the cupboards of empty bedrooms and things like that. I'm flurried. I've never come <clears throat> haunting before, and it seems to put me out. Come on, Clayton, you can't be serious. Leave him, leave him, Evans. Let him continue. Yeah, let's hear the end of it, at least. Put you out, I said. Yes, sir. I've tried to do it several times, and it doesn't come off. Some little thing has slipped me and I can't get back. Well, that rather bowled me over. He looked at me in such an abject way that for the life of me I couldn't keep up quite the high hectoring vein that I'd adopted. Mm. Oh, that's queer, then, I said. And as I spoke, I fancied I heard someone moving about down below. Come into my room and tell me about it, I said. So we did. Sit on the armchair and tell me, old chap. How you got yourself into this awkward position, I said. Are you telling us that you sat together in your bedroom upstairs? No, no. He said he wouldn't sit down. He'd prefer to flit up and down the room if it was all right by me. And so he did. In a little while, we were deep in a long and serious talk. He hadn't a particularly honest face. But being transparent, of course, he couldn't avoid telling the truth. Eh? I, uh, I don't... What, what, what's that? What, what's that wish? Being transparent. Couldn't avoid telling the truth. I, I don't see it. I don't see it. But it is so, I can assure you. I don't believe he got once a nail's breadth off the Bible truth. He, he told me how he'd been killed. He went down into a London basement with a candle to look for a leakage of gas. Poor wretch. That's what I thought. And the more he talked, the more I thought it. There he was purposeless in life and purposeless out of it. He talked of his father and his mother and his schoolmaster and all who had ever been anything to do with him in the world. He'd been too sensitive, too nervous. None of them had ever valued him properly or understood him, he said. He'd never had a real friend in the world, I think. Never had a success. Shirked games and failed examinations. And where are you now? I asked. And... What did he say to that? Well, he wasn't clear on the point at all. The impression he gave me was of a sort of vague, intermediate state. 
A special reserve for souls too non-existent for anything so positive as either sin or virtue. Ah, I don't know. He was much too egotistical and unobservant to give me any clear idea of the kind of place, the kind of country there is on the other side of things. Mm. Wherever he was, he seemed to have fallen in with a set of kindred spirits, ghosts of weak, uh, cockney young men, who were on a footing of Christian names. And among these, there was certainly a lot of talk about going haunting. Really? Yeah, things like that. <laughs> yeah, going haunting. They seemed to think haunting a tremendous adventure. Most of them funked it all the time. And did you think this haunting of theirs to be a tremendous adventure for you, Clayton? Oh. <laughs> you still don't believe it, do you? Go on, Clayton. You see, Sanderson, it appeals to the actor. Ah, yes, but Wish here is a professional actor. You're not. Now, at the moment, I can see clear through you. Mm. Anyway, these are the impressions he gave me. Oh, I may, of course, have been in a rather uncritical state. But that was the sort of background he gave to himself. He kept flitting up and down with his thin voice going, talking about his wretched self, and never a word of clear, firm statement from first to last. He was thinner and sillier and more pointless than if he'd been real and alive. Only then, you know, he, he wouldn't have been in my bedroom here. If he had been alive, I should have kicked mm. him out. Of course, then, our poor mortals like that. Yeah, and there's just as much chance of their having ghosts uh, as the rest of us, I suppose. What gave a sort of point to him, you know, was the fact that he did seem within limits to have found himself out. The mess he'd made of haunting had depressed him terribly. He, he'd been told it would be a lark. He, he'd come expecting it to be a lark. And, and here it was, nothing but another failure added to his record. He paused and stood regarding me. He remarked that, strange as it may seem to me, nobody had given him the amount of sympathy I was giving him now. Don't you brood on these things too much, I said. The thing you've got to do is to get out of this. Get out of this shop. You pull yourself together and try. I can't, he said. You try, I said. And try, he did. Try? How? Uh, a gleam of interest from Sanderson here at last. Well, well, well. Passes. Passes? What do you mean, passes? A complicated series of gestures and passes with the hands. Now, that's how he'd come in, and that's how he had got to get out again. Lord, what a business I had. But how could any series of passes My possibly... My dear man, you want everything clear. I don't know how. All I know is that you do, that he did. After a fearful time, you know, he got his passes right. And suddenly, he disappeared. Huh. And well, did you observe these passes, these gestures? Yes, yes. It was very strange. I can't, he said. And suddenly he sat down on a little chair at the foot of the bed and began to sob. Lord, what a harrowing, whimpering thing he seemed. You pull yourself together, I said. I tried to pat him on the back and, and my confounded hand went through him. <laughs> By that time, you know, I wasn't nearly so massive as I'd been on the landing. I got the full strangeness of it all. I remember snatching my hand back out of him, as it were, with a little thrill and walking over to the dressing table. You pull yourself together, I said to him, and try. And in order to encourage him and help him, 
I began to try as well. What, the passes? Yes, the passes. I tried them as well. But wasn't that rather... No, no, this, this is interesting. Oh, it's interesting now, is it, Sanderson? You mean to say that this ghost of yours gave away... Did his level best to give away the whole confounded barrier? Yes. Yes, yeah, he didn't, though. He couldn't. Or you'd have gone there too. And that's precisely it. That is precisely it. But at last he did it? At last he did it, yes. I had to keep him up to it hard, but he did it at last, rather suddenly. He despaired. We had a scene, then he got up abruptly and asked me to go through the whole performance slowly so that he might see. I believe, he said. If I could see, I should spot what was wrong at once. And he did. I know, he said. What do you know, said I. I can't do it if you look at me. I really can't. It's been partly that all along. I'm such a nervous fellow that you put me out. Well, we had an argument. Naturally, I wanted to see. But he was as obstinate as a mule, and suddenly I'd come over as tired as a dog. All right, I said, I won't look at you. And I turned towards the mirror on the wardrobe by the bed. He started off very fast. I tried to follow him by looking in the looking glass. Round went his arms and hands, so and so. And then, with a rush, he came to the last gesture of all. You stand erect and open out your arms. Like this. Just like this, he stood. And then he didn't. I wheeled around from the looking glass to him. There was nothing. I was alone with the flaring candles and a staggering mind. What had happened? Hmm? Had anything happened? Had I been dreaming? And then, with an absurd note of finality, the clock upon the landing discovered the moment was right for striking one. So, <coughs> bing! <coughs> all that happened. And then you went to bed? What else was there to do? And the passes? Mm, I believe I could do them now. Oh, could you really? Yes. They won't work. No, but if they do... I'd rather you didn't, Clayton. Why? I'd rather he didn't, that's all. But he hasn't got them right. All the same, I'd just rather he didn't. Mm. You, you don't, in all honesty. True or not, if you go through those gestures and passes, would... Well... It would be mocking a serious matter. Yes, yes, but you, you just can't believe Why it. Why shouldn't I believe he would... what he told us? None of us knows what happens after... Well, it's possible, that's all. Clayton, you're too good a liar for us. Most of it was all right, but that disappearance... Tell us, it's a tale of cock and bull, isn't it? Mm -hmm. You watch me, Sanderson. Just you watch me. What are you doing? He's going through the passes. Well, I don't think... Look... Clayton, it was a good tale, but I really don't think you... There! That's very good, Clayton. But as a Freemason and a member of the Lodge of the Four Kings, I know many of these gestures, and there's one little detail left out. Uh, I know. I believe I could tell you which. Well? This one. Right? Yes? That, you know was what he couldn't get right. But how do you... How do you... Look, most of this business, and particularly how you invented it, I don't understand at all, but just that phase, I do. Now, these happen to be a series of gestures connected with a certain branch of esoteric masonry known 
only to a few, including myself. And I do not see I can do any harm in telling you just the proper twist of the hands. After all, if you know, you know, and if you don't, you don't. I know nothing, except what the poor devil let out last night. Then watch me. Now, the part you got wrong should go like this. Uh, there. You see? Uh -huh. Now I can do the whole thing right. Can I not? If you want to, yes. I imagine you can. I wouldn't begin, Clayton, if I were you. It's all right. Matter is indestructible. You don't think any jiggity-pokery of this sort is going to snatch Clayton into the world of shades? Not it. You, you may try, Clayton, as far as I'm concerned, until your arms drop off at the shoulders. I don't believe that, Clayton. You've made me half-believe in that story somehow, and I... I don't want to see the thing done. My goodness, are you afraid, Wish? I believe that if he goes through these motions right, he'll go. No, no, he'll, he'll not do anything of the sort, because, as we all know, there's only one way out of this world, and Clayton is 30 years from that. Clayton, you're a fool. A damn fool. I decline to argue further. Let the thing be tried. Here goes. No, please! Wish! Please, leave me alone. Supposing the oh, whole thing... Oh, for God's sake, Wish, shut up! It's up to him! Be quiet, both of you. Don't you see? Are you all so stupid? He's just having us on. It's another of his jokes. You think so, Samson? Of course I do. Look at him. His face. What's happening to his face? My God. He's changing. His face it's... is... It's as if he were frozen. And look out! He's falling! Don't grab him, someone! All right! All right! I've got him! He's fainted! Oh. What's happened? Is he all right? It wasn't a joke, was it? No. He's dead.